Well, in our first talk this morning, uh, we looked at what it meant to follow Jesus. Um, you can probably remember that. Uh, sometimes I say that to see you on Wednesdays. I go, so remember last week? And everyone's like, oh, what? still not again. It's like a test. Um, you know, but you've only had an hour's break. So maybe you can remember, we looked at what it meant to follow Jesus. Uh, we saw that at its core, following Jesus is living a life of repentance and believing the gospel. Uh, over and over again, going back to him, humbling ourselves, repenting and believing the gospel. What you might have noticed uh, was what I didn't tell you uh, following Jesus involved. Uh, I didn't say that it involves a big long list of instructions to do, uh, a big list of what you have to do to follow Jesus, what's right and what's wrong. If you've been down to that jumping pillow at all, there's a big list there and it goes, no jumping on the pillow with shoes on, no doing this, no doing that. I didn't give you one of those lists, a list of things to do and not. I didn't tell you that if you have to be a Christian, then you have to pray every day. I didn't tell you that you have to read your Bible every day. I didn't tell you you have to go to church. I didn't tell you you have to tell people about Jesus. I didn't give you a big long list of things, a big list of things to do uh, in order to be a follower of Jesus uh, because ticking off lists isn't Christianity. Uh, ticking off lists is religion. Every other religion says, if you want God to love you, you need to do this. You need to do this and this and this, and then God will love you. Christianity is radically different. Uh, Where religion says, if you obey God, then God will love you, Jesus says, I love you, so obey me. Uh, It's responsive. Uh, because you love me, because you believe the gospel that tells you that I love you, you'll want to obey me. You'll want to repent of your sin and live for me. Jesus, you see, he starts with love that leads to obedience. Religion starts with lists that leads to obedience. Very different. Uh, Anything we do as Christians, you see, it's actually our response to the gospel. We love him because he first loved us. We follow him, we fish for him because he first loved us. Uh, it might be worth just kind of nailing this down for you. If you take your pen, you write religion equals list with an arrow that leads to obedience. Christianity equals love with an arrow that leads to obedience. Love comes first. Jesus loves us and he says, I love you, obey me. It's never the other way around. And in these verses in Mark 1, 16-20, what we see is we see Jesus coming and talking to these fishermen. Uh, he calls them out. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, he says. Follow me, repent and believe the gospel. Next, what's the next thing to do? We'll go and share it with people. Go and tell other people this good news, this joy bringing news. He's talking to fishermen. So he uses their language. He says, go fishing for men. If you've been hooked by the gospel, if you love it, then go and hook others in. Tell them the gospel. Share it with them. Share this good news. Be an evangelist. Uh, If you're struggling with evangelism at the moment, uh, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I don't know what... I hate it when Steve talks about evangelism. I really just don't like that. Uh, It's worth asking the question, why, isn't it? Why is it that... You don't enjoy sharing the good news. Why is it that you're not telling people about Jesus? Uh, Is it because you're not believing the gospel? That you're not actually finding your joy in it? 
Uh, I mean, if you've experienced the gospel, if it's actually bringing you great joy, then you want to share it, won't you? I mean, most most of you would know that I love coffee. Uh, and most of you would know that I love going to the old green bean on Little Terrace. Because it brings me great joy, and so I tell you about it. I say, have you been to the old green bean? They have great coffee. In fact, they have the best brownies in Bendigo. It's just out of an excitement. There's this overflow. To my shame, I actually hook more people into going to the old green bean <laughs> than going and finding out about Jesus. But excitement's not our only motivation for sharing the gospel. No, people are sinning. People are suffering. They're depressed because of their sin. They're hurting. They're hurting themselves. They're hurting each other. Sin leads to death. It's killing their relationships. It's killing their joy. It's killing their health. Ultimately, it's going to kill them, and it's going to lead to separation from God for eternity. Sin is a killer. And if you've experienced how to deal with it, then you want to share it, won't you? You want to tell people this cure. Jesus says, follow me, go fishing. Start telling other people this good news of sins forgiven, of conscience cleansed, of life defeated, of death defeated, and life without end. Sometimes you get things wrong. It really throws you, doesn't it? That's a little test. Yeah. You're listening. The lollies are working. As we look at this little episode in verses 16 to 20 in Mark, what we see is there's actually three R words that flow out of it. Uh, each of them clarifies something about what it means for us to fish for men as we go about this doing, doing this thing of sharing the gospel uh, with people. What we see is, firstly, we see that Jesus, that following Jesus is responsive. Secondly, it's radical. And then thirdly, what it's not, it's not religious. Uh, firstly, Jesus, following Jesus is responsive. What we see here as Jesus comes and he sees these fishermen is that he initiates the relationship. Have a look here in these verses in Mark 1. Just observe the verbs there. This isn't going to be an English lesson, but I've highlighted the verbs and underlined them for you. Look at the verbs. I'll read it out again. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, uh, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus called out to them, Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left and they followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James and John, uh, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. See what happens with those verbs? They're exactly the same, aren't they? In both instances. Jesus saw, Jesus calls, they leave, they follow. Same, same verbs in both instances. Jesus sees, Jesus calls, we leave, we follow. Uh, Jesus, you see, he initiates the relationship. Uh, he sees, he calls, we follow. Following Jesus is always a response to him first doing a work, to him calling People don't follow Jesus unless they first call him. Uh, in this, I'll just take that off. In this episode, what we learn is actually what we learn, this is just the narrative, so you don't want to make too much of a big deal out of a narrative section. We actually get a hint to what actually is spelled out by Paul in the rest of the Bible. In fact, Jesus himself says it in John chapter 10. Jesus says how he chooses and calls people to himself. 
In John 10 he says, I have other sheep who are not in my fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. There's power in Jesus' words, you see. When he calls, people follow. When the word of Jesus is spoken to people, to, to someone who is chosen by Jesus, they will respond. In Romans 8, verse 28 to 30, we read these words. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for their good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This helps us when we think about this task of evangelism, doesn't it? Helps us to see that what we do is we hold out the gospel, the word of Jesus. And those who God sees and calls, they respond. It's not up to us to actually do or make people respond. We don't have to have the fanciest slogans or the best posters. We don't have to have the slickest preachers. Uh, no, our role is to cast the gospel out there and God will make his fish bite. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes the same thing. Uh, he says, Therefore having this ministry, that is this ministry of reconciliation, of, of seeing people reconciled back to God, says, Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, that is telling the gospel, we would commend commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See the work there that God does? It is God who shines the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ into our hearts. If people are going to become Christian, if they're going to become followers of Jesus, two things need to happen. One we can do, the other only God can do. We can proclaim the gospel, we share the good news, we tell them about the glorious hope that can be found in Jesus. We kind of cast it out there, we put it on a hook, we dangle it in front of people, in our classes, with our families, with our friends. But only God can make people bite. Only God can open people's eyes to see the wonder of what the gospel really is. Only he can light it up. So we see it as the glory of God and not the foolishness of men. That's why we pray, isn't it? We ask God to open people's eyes, to give them life, help them see the glory of the gospel. Part of doing this work of fishing for men is praying for them, asking that God would open people's eyes. That's the first point. Being a follower of Jesus is responsive. It's a response to the gospel. 
Uh, it's a response that Jesus makes happen. But secondly, uh, once you've responded by biting that hook, you can imagine the fish, right? Once you've responded by biting a hook, you're in for a radical ride. Your life is never going to be the same again. Uh, the image Jesus is using is actually that of a fish being caught in a net. Uh, the people there are throwing out nets, they're casting them out. And the fish, you know, fish, I've, I've never been a fish, but fish, they just kind of, I don't believe in reincarnation, um, they're just swimming along, right? They're used to life in the sea, they're kind of just drifting with the currents of life, just looking at what's in front of them. Then all of a sudden, they're kind of pulled out, dragged up out of the water. They kind of gasp for air. It's kind of, it would be ridiculously scary, wouldn't it? And sometimes that's what it's like when you first become a Christian. Your whole life gets turned upside down. But at the same time, it's kind of wonderful, isn't it? But for the first time, as you drag up out of the waters, you can see that life is actually bigger than what's just in front of you. The fish can see for the first time the horizon. They can see the world as what it truly is. They can see, we can see, when we see the gospel, that life is more than just whatever's happening on our Facebook page. Life is more than whatever's happening this Friday night. Whatever's happening in our family. Life is bigger than just our degree. See, when God takes hold of us, we can actually see the world for what it truly is. John Piper says this. He says, John Piper's a, a minister in, in America. And he writes this, he says, that when God took hold of him, he says, he shook my dozing soul and threw the cold water of reality in my face so that life and God and heaven and hell broke into my world with glory and horror. Mm-hmm. Following Jesus, you see, it's radical. It expands our horizons. So we see the world for what it truly is. And, and when you see that the world is bigger than just what's going on around us, when you believe the gospel that that Jesus is the king of the world, that, that he's reigning, that he's ruling, and that he will return, and that he's the one that says to us, you are mine, you are my dearly loved child. Then that changes our world, doesn't it? How much should we radically respond to that? That's what the first disciples did. Have a look at what they did in verse 18, when Jesus called out to them, when he opened their eyes, What did they do? They left their nets and they followed him. James and John, they they not only left their nets, but in verse 20 you see that they left their father, they left everything else, they left their boats, they left everything behind to follow Jesus. William Lane, a Bible commentator, he says, So compelling is the claim of Jesus upon them that all prior claims lose their validity. Their father, the hired servants, the boat, the nets, they're all left behind as they commit themselves in an exclusive sense to Jesus. Would you be able to say that about yourself? All of the claims in my life have lost their validity because I'm exclusively committed to Jesus. I'm not going to sleep with my boyfriend tonight because I'm exclusively committed to Jesus. I'm not going to look at pornography today because I'm exclusively committed to Jesus and I know he doesn't want me to. I'm no longer going to worry about what my friends think. 
If they think that if they're going to say that I'm lame for going to Bible study, I'm not going to worry about that. Because I'm exclusively committed to Jesus. And I know that he wants me to meet with his people. And I know that he wants me to find out more about him as I read his word. No longer going to fear the rejection I might get for inviting my people to church or to see you, telling them about Jesus. Because I'm exclusively committed to him. And they need to hear about him. Leave those nets of self-gratification. Leave those nets of people's praise behind and follow him. That's what he calls us to. If you follow Jesus, things are going to get shaken up. Your life will never be the same again. There's a radical reorientation of our priorities. It will have an impact on you. There are some of you here today who God might call to follow him by leaving your career to become a missionary or a preacher. God might do that. He might open your eyes to the wonder of the gospel so you actually want to share that full time with people. Your eyes have been opened, John Piper says, so that life and God and heaven and hell break into our world with glory and horror. It expands our horizons, doesn't it? Make radical changes for Jesus. You won't regret it. Might be hard, but do it. Live that life of humble obedience. It's what he calls us to. Let me just say though that it's kind of talk of being radical, maybe fanatical about Jesus. Sometimes you can get looked down upon. Uh, sometimes in relation to religion, uh, people can hear the word like, radical religious people, and and we and what do we kind of think about there? Sometimes we think about self-righteous people, don't we? Kind of arrogant people, you know? They're taking it so seriously, they've become hypercritical and judgmental of people. Uh, sometimes even we, we will talk about religious radicals, maybe they're the people who are flying those planes into buildings. Uh, we associate those kind of attitudes and behaviours with people who are radical. And so the temptation is, well, should we just kind of settle for middle ground? Should we just kind of follow Jesus and still kind of fit in with the world. Well, I'm going to say that that kind of person, that self-righteous, judgmental, hypercritical person, they actually haven't followed Jesus far enough. That's their problem. They're not getting radical enough about following Jesus. So to be radical about Jesus means to be radical like him. It means to be radically kind to be radically humble, to be radically gentle and loving in the way we speak to people, because that's what Jesus was like. It means to follow him in the way he lives, to speak the hard truths when they need to be said, but to love the sinner without ever condoning the sin. A person who is truly radically transformed by Jesus, they won't be a self-righteous, arrogant person. They'll actually be humble, won't they? They'll be kind because they realise who they really are because they believe the gospel and they see that they themselves are a sinner just like everyone else. So there's no place for boasting. There's no place for arrogance. We're all on the same level playing field. The only thing that makes us different is that God in his mercy has plucked us out of those waters of sin and given us life. Anyone who comes across as self-righteous 
They haven't followed Jesus too far. They're not following him far enough. They're not believing the gospel. But the person who is radically transformed by the gospel, well, you know what? That's the kind of person that might just attract someone to Jesus, isn't it? If you're that person, if you're that kind person, if you're the thankful person, if you're the one that's got a hope that other people around you don't really have, if there's something about you, then God might just work through that kind of person to draw people to himself. John Piper again, he says, why don't people ask us about our hope? He says the answer is probably that we look as if we hope in the same things as they do. Our lives don't look like they're on the Calvary Road, the way to the cross, stripped down for sacrificial love, serving others with sweet assurance that we don't need to be rewarded in this life. If you're the type of person who's radically kind, radically thankful for what God has done for you in Christ, if you're not like the rest of the world, just finding your joy in whatever you see just in front of you, in those menial things of life, if you're actually giving yourself in service to people and loving other people, then people will notice. Your friends will come up to you and they'll say, hey, you're different. Tell me about that. That's how Jesus makes us fishers of men, you see, as we believe the gospel, as it works itself out in our lives. We will point people to him and we will speak for him. That's the first two points. Be responsive, be radical, but thirdly, don't be religious. Uh, I think it's all too easy for us to become religious, isn't it? To feel that we need to do this. If we do this and we do this, then God will love us. Then he'll love us. And sometimes I fear that the preaching we hear can feed into this. If the application we hear is always read your Bible, tell people about Jesus and pray, then what have we got? We've got a list, don't we? We've been given a list of things to do and, and suddenly Christianity feels like it's all about works again. That uh, if I haven't read my Bible today, then maybe God won't love, love me. But if I haven't shared the gospel today, then maybe God hates me for that and I'm out of good relationship with him. My friends, remember what Jesus says. Remember what the gospel says. It says, God loves you first. Your actions, they don't secure his love. They're a response to his love. I'm starting to have this talk with Josie at the moment, my daughter. Uh, when Josie is about to do something crazy, like she is starting to do, what I try to do in my better moments is get down on her level and say, Josie, I love you with all my heart. Do you love me? And sometimes she'll say, yeah, Dad, I love you. And I'll say, what are you going to do? She said, put my shoes on. You know, it's a, it's a response to love. Can you imagine what it would be like if I said something like this to Josie? If I said, Josie, I don't love you at the moment. In fact, I'm going to hold back my love until you obey me. And if you obey me, then I will love you. But if you don't obey me, then I'm going to take my love back. Can you imagine that way of parenting? It's an incredibly abusive parent, isn't it? To give and take love like that. That's not what our God is like. He loves us. He died for us. The gospel tells us that. 
We don't need to do things in order to win his love. He already does. He died for us on the cross. So often I fear that this is the trap we fall into. We worry so much about what we do. Am I doing enough? Am I trying hard enough? Did I repent the right way? Did I say the right words? Did I give enough money? Did I, did I get up early enough to pray? All these questions that we ask ourselves, does God really love me? See, if religion is your MO, your modus operandi, then you'll always be freaking out. You won't know how you stand with God. I know he did love me, but I did something bad, so now does he not love me? Religious people, they wrongly say, if you obey God, then he'll love you. But Jesus says, because I love you, you get to obey. You get to obey. Sadly, religious people, I think, tend to take what is perfectly good, things that are actually very good for us, and they, and they turn them into things that we have to do. Uh, so the religious person will say, you have to read your Bible. You have to pray. You have to go to church. You have to evangelize. You have to tell people about Jesus. You're a Christian, aren't you? I hate the idea of that. Because Jesus says it's not you have to. He says you get to. You get to read your Bible. It will teach you about Jesus, the guy that you love, who already loves you. You'll find out more about him. You get to repent of your sins. You actually get to stop doing those things in your life that are screwing it up. You get to say no to that and start living properly. You get to go to church. You get to go to see. You get to meet a group of people who will be your friends, who, like you, love Jesus. You get to tell people about Jesus. You get to serve them. You get to see them saved. Religion, you see, it's about have-tos. Jesus is all about get-tos. changes your whole attitude, doesn't it? You get to hang out with Jesus. You get to hang out with his people. Because it's good. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship. It's about the relationship you have with him. Just imagine for a moment you're about to get engaged, or you are engaged to get married. Some of you might be able to imagine that closer than others. Um, Imagine that you're seeing your premarital counsellor. You've gone to see a minister, get a bit of advice. And he says to you, all right, what you've got to do in this relationship is you have to go on a date. You have to kiss each other. You have to go out for dinner. You don't say it like that, do you? You don't talk like that when it's in a relationship where you love someone else. If you say it like that, it sounds like it's a job, like you're going to get some sort of performance review at the end and some guy's kicking things off. (laughs) How would that work out for a date? takes all the fun out of it, doesn't it? How much different is it if he says, you guys get to kiss. You get to go out for dinner. You get to hang out. You get to make memories. Guys, don't let your faith turn into have-tos. Make sure it's all about get-tos. Jesus didn't tell those first disciples that they had to follow him. Now they got to. They jumped off that boat and they swam towards him. They left everything behind. They didn't look back. They responded to his call. They lived radical lives, walking in his footsteps. Lives that they never would have imagined could have been theirs. 
they weren't following Jesus. They live lives that we're still talking about today, aren't they? But we're benefiting from from today because they followed Jesus and they shared the good news of the gospel with the world. And I'm not going to make any promises. I don't know what God will do through us, through you, when you decide to live radically for him, following his footsteps, but who knows? Who knows where your life will lead? Who knows what sort of impact it will have on the world? What sort of things Jesus will do through you if you live radically for him? It's up to him. We trust him with our lives. But trust him in a radical way. Follow him. Be responsive. Be radical. Don't get religious. But live for him. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the way you operate is not one where you withhold your love, but you pour it out on us so abundantly. We see that most clearly where your own Son gave his life for us by dying for us on that cross. Father, help us to respond to that, not in a way where we grudgingly feel like we have to do things, but help us to so see the wonder of who you are, what you've done for us, the reality of the world around us, that we just live for you, not because we have to, but we love it because we get to. Father, please transform our hearts and our minds. Help us to see the wonder of the gospel so clearly that we would give all of our lives to you. Pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.